The political landscape in the United States is mostly shaped by being a two-party system. It's not that there aren't other political parties, but they just don't get much, if any, attention. One very outspoken individual by the name of Adam Kokesh hopes to shake things up by becoming the nominee for the Libertarian Party. His platform? To eliminate the federal government in an orderly fashion. Well, how would that work? And how does Adam intend to win the nomination with a platform which makes many people feel uneasy? Well, we're going to discover more as we welcome candidate Kokesh to the show today. It's the We're Not Anarchists, But We Can Pronounce the Word, episode number 388 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? And whether you're in these United States of America or anywhere else in the world, you are a citizen of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, and we welcome you. Yes, welcome to the wild, wild world that we live in. Hey, folks, really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we know there's a lot of craziness going on in the world, so thank you for spending some of your time. Uh, you're 24 hours stuck at home. Might as well spend a little of it listening to Bad Crypto, I suppose. And if you've noticed over the last month or so, we've been bringing you guys some really, really interesting content. Uh, you know, we had R Dr. Ron Paul on, which most people really loved, and which was really cool. We were so stoked to get him on the show, which was awesome. We also interviewed Ben Swan, uh, which, is a, which is a very interesting guy. He's trying to solve the problem with fake news. Now, some folks might say he is fake news because they didn't believe some of his reporting and stuff. And so we, we understand that there were some people who didn't necessarily like him, but the Wait, fact is, he's one guy. One, one guy. Uh, that's true. One guy. Well, he was trying to cancel culture us. So I was like, that was whatever. One jerky whatever. dude. But, anyways, no, it's like we don't necessarily agree with everyone that comes on to our show, but we like to give people a platform to talk about stuff, to ask them questions, right? To create a dialogue. Because how do you get better as a society or as a civilization if you don't have healthy dialogue? Now, today, we've got a guy who has been moving the needle and pushing the needle for a very long time. Very interesting guy, Adam. Kokesh and um is he moving the needle by pushing the needle well he's he's there's he used to have a show called Adam versus the man and so he's been doing all kinds of this these sort of interesting things we needled him a little bit during the interview we did interesting guy yeah, before we get to the interview, let's give a shout out and some love to our sponsors at MobiPay. Money has been around for a long time, gangs, from cowrie shells to gold coins and other types of coinage. Uh chickens and gold and goats. Goats, cows, goats. They're from <laughs> from Canada. Yeah, eh? <laughs> I trade you one of my moose. Eh? Yeah. For what? What do you get for a moose? You get a toque. Uh -huh. eh? And anyway, you know, now we've got dirty fiat currency of which they're just printing ridiculous amounts of it. And it really is dirty, and it spreads, you know, viruses and stuff. And this is why we need payments going mobile and digital, and why MobiPay is creating a system that lets people send money in digital currency worldwide from their mobile phone in seconds, even without a bank account. They've got an integrated reward and payment token that connects all fiat and major cryptos directly to the global retail marketplace. You want to play? I know we do. Go to mobipay.io, sign up for their beta, and they're going to give you $10 worth of their MBX token for kicking the tires on it. mobipay.io. Hey, Mr. Travis Wright. Don't kick my middle tire. That's we have a big announcement. We do. 
huge announcement. In fact, huge. it's probably the biggest announcement ever to come from the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Yeah, you know, folks, we have, as we mentioned, we've been creating some pretty prolific content here over the last month or so, but now we got some content stuff that's going to be rolling out here soon. When, when should we tell them about it? I think, so this is the Sunday show. This is episode 388. The Tuesday evening show, 389, comes out, well, Tuesday evening, because it's it's mm-hmm. the Tuesday evening show. Let's see, the guest for that episode, oh, that's going to be Tor from Enigma. We talk all about uh, privacy and privacy coins. You're not going to want to miss that, but we are going to make an announcement, I think, on Tuesday. Tuesday. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you guys, wait till you hear this. I'm uh, we're so excited, and I can't tell you right now, but we're gonna tell you soon. And but for now, we're gonna get to today's interview. It's not often that you get a presidential candidate to come on the show, and so we reached out to the White House, and the White House said no, and we reached out to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden said, huh. And we reached out to Andrew Yang, and and, and Andrew Yang, uh, for whatever reason, didn't want to come on the show. And so we're like, all right, who's going to come on the damn show to talk about the election? And we located Mr. Adam Kokesh. He's an American libertarian political activist, radio host, author, and a U.S. 2020 libertarian presidential candidate running on the single issue platform of, quote, an orderly dissolution of the federal government. He's got a storied background and much to say. Adam Kokesh, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Although as great as that introduction was, I, if, if I may go through, I have I have a number of corrections. First of all, uh, Joe Biden didn't say that. He just said, <laughs> his voice smells really nice. Um, and, and 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 I think Yang said he'd do it for a thousand dollars, and I understand if that's that's out of your budget, you know that's all right, it's all right. But uh, the other thing is that anytime you introduce me as a presidential candidate at all, I, I throw up in my mouth a little bit, as any sane human being would, because you have to be some kind of freaking psychopath to want to be president of the United States, to wield this authority over other people that shouldn't exist in the first place. And I'm glad that you mentioned the platform there. And that's so important because I'm not running for president to be president. In a sense, it's it's only technically true that I'm running for president. It might be more accurate to say that I'm running to turn the presidential race into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. And if the American people say, no, we're putting our foot down, we're tired of this crap, you don't get Adam Kokesh for president. You don't get just another, you know, kinder, gentler tyrant. No, my platform is resigning on day one, taking the government through a bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states uh, or 57 if you're Obama, uh, 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. Now, I heard when you when you tried to get Cheeto Jesus on the show that, that he, he said he couldn't make it to your studio because of bone spur issues, which of course makes about as much sense as his excuses in foreign policy, as the swamp has always made excuses with the military industrial complex for unjustified military action. But when it comes to what what he's doing, what the Republicans and Democrats are doing, it's like, what's the difference between Democrats and Republicans? 
it's the difference between driving off a cliff at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. And I can't tell you which one is which, but this is our generation's opportunity to jump up and put our hands on the steering wheel and say, nope, it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, wow. Okay. You clearly have a lot to say and some uh, opinions. Oh, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Mic drop. Can we, I want to like, yeah, can we, can we talk about Joe? surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back a little bit before you decided to do to run for this not president. Uh, give us a little bit of your background because I know you've served in the military and thank you for your service. Ta- tell us what you did before this insanity. Sure. Well, I, I would like to think who I am is unimportant, but I understand the credibility of the messenger is relevant here. And when you say thank you for your service, I always have to separate. That it, you know, it might mean something to be willing to put your life on the line for what you believe in, for defending innocent people, for serving your country. But that's not what joining the military is. And it's dangerously naive to for, for me to even say, uh, yeah, you're welcome, because we were serving bankers, politicians and war profiteers. And if we don't acknowledge that every chance we get, we're going to keep sending uh, America's young people to to fight and die for politicians on the behalf, uh, behalf of special interests. Twenty two veterans committing suicide a day because they don't care about us. I don't I don't want to reinforce that. I want to challenge militarism fundamentally. So for, for my background, it really comes from having two parents who were both relatively anti-authority. My dad was vaguely conservative and my mom was vaguely liberal. They're both definitely libertarians now, but that they gave me a good sense of disdain for authority, of mistrust for people in positions of power, and a, an inclination to question everything was really important. I grew up, you know, upper middle class suburb life in California, a uh, product of divorce, like so many kids coming out of that scene, and uh, went to boarding school for high school, joined the Marines at 17 uh, as a reservist so I could go to college volunteer to go to Iraq. And, and I was in Fallujah in 2004 for the first battle. It was a very interesting time in Iraq. And I learned the hard way that the greatest enemies of the Constitution that we swore an oath to support and defend were not to be found in the sands of some far off land, but rather right here at home. And for me, getting out of the Marine Corps uh, was, was a big uh, you know, turning point because I got in trouble. Uh, I was supposed to go to Iraq a second time. I got in trouble for bringing a pistol back on on my for my tour. And uh, when I got out, I got I got a medal for my tour in Iraq right before getting demoted from sergeant to corporal. And so when I got out, I was just disgruntled enough to really start questioning things. And I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War. Fell into full time activism with that. I was asked to run as a Republican for Congress, despite being a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party in 2010 in my home state at the time of New Mexico. And when the race was over, I couldn't shut up. So I got a radio show, Adam versus the Man on AM 1550 KIVA, more positive talk radio, Albuquerque. And that got canceled uh, just in time to get picked up as a TV show. And that was the birth of Adam versus the Man on RT America. And uh, while I was there, I got canceled after four months for being critical of Putin, went independent and have, have built my YouTube channel now up to, uh, well, I should say did build my YouTube channel up to 
a little over 70 million views before getting heavily shadow banned and then finally fully demonetized. And um, so I've been some kind of civil disobedience activist, anti-war activist, author, host, podcast producer since I got out of the Marine Corps November 30, 2006. And, uh, you know, like I was saying about getting out, a big part of my development there was going from, well, holy crap, there are people still dying in Iraq because of American policy. And if the American people knew my story, less people would die. And being really compelled by that to get out, to get active with Iraq Veterans Against the War, to tell my story, to help other veterans tell their stories. But then at some point, you feel like, oh, I'm playing their game. Uh, I'm fighting inch by inch while they laugh at me and take a mile behind my back. I don't want to do that any anymore. You know, Henry David Thoreau, for every thousand striking at the branches of evil, there is one who is striking at the root. I want to strike at the root. And I was like, well, is it really this war that's the problem? No. Is it the global war on terror? No. Is is it militarism? Well, getting close, but really it's it's statism. It's this idea that ethics are irrelevant if you have enough people voting for an unethical action. You know, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill. Yeah, those are still problems, even if you're a cop or a soldier or an IRS agent. You violate those basic moral principles. You bring humanity down from our potential. And at some point you go, well, what? What can I do to strike the root of the evil, to wake people up to this, to bring about real change? And so running for the presidential nomination of the Libertarian Party now, I've been running for the last uh, two years. We got a real early head start, and it's been great so far. We've got uh, every single delegate seat in the country competitive so far in this uh, convention season, which has been amazing. That was our first goal. So uh, the party's a lot stronger as a result, and and we're looking really solid for the nomination still. That's that's uh, that's an interesting background that you have there, and I'm, I'm familiar with you. I think I saw you during those four months on on RT before you made fun of Putin. Do not make fun <laughs> of Putin, comrade. Not good. Idea. <laughs> I actually I, I want to ask you about this because you just uh, the the phrase statism. And yeah. I read I read this book by Larkin Rose. It was called The Most Dangerous Superstition. Yeah, it talks about how people look at statism as almost sort of as a religion. And I want to yeah. touch base on that with you and ask your thoughts around statism, because it sounds to me like you're trying to abolish that. Yeah. So uh, that book does a great job of really identifying the core of the problem. Uh, I'd like to think we can be a little more solution oriented now, but in understanding the problem of statism, it's this idea that violence or coercion is somehow legitimate when it's done by government or with a certain amount of, of public consent. And while I do want to get rid of that, I do think it's absolutely critical for humanity progressing to evolve past or to continue evolving past statism. What I see is the unifying policy proposals, that, or, or proposal singular, if, if you want to look at it that way, that can unite people, that can actually move us in that direction in a practical way, is localization. So you're a liberal, you live in a liberal state, you're a conservative, you live in a conservative state. Right now, if you meet on the street, you kind of have to see each other as enemies. This is the polarization because you have to you fight over what policy is going to be forced on everyone. And, I, you know, 
if one of you is going to win, the other is going to lose. But the real winners are the people who control the process and the losers are the American people. The rich get richer, the poor get poor, uh, the, 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 the monkey on our backs, the, the money being taken out of our paychecks every day uh, gets, gets bigger and bigger proportionally, even if they hide it. If, if government grows, taxes are going up, whether they, they do it directly or indirectly through inflation is, is irrelevant. So getting government down local to the community, when it gets to the community level, when it gets so local that it's voluntary, that's when you can say it's not statism anymore. When every government has to acknowledge the right of every citizen to opt out, to be sovereign, to to be free on their own land. At that point, uh, I, 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 you know, it, it might not even be government. Wasn't it like that, in like the 1800s? Like it was more local, and the states had more rights and more say so. Well, it, it's it's interesting to do that kind of historical analysis because you could look at it that way and say, in many ways, the bureaucracy has taken a step backwards of, of becoming more centralized and more oppressive over the last few hundred years as a product of modern bureaucratic governments. But in terms of the absolute power that government as a whole had over individuals, uh, I would say in, in many ways it's going down in the course of human progress is to get more free over time. So we can look at the size of government and say, you know, that's that's really horrific. But what's the real measure of evil of government or even the destructiveness? It's not how big is it? You know, would you rather live under a giant government that's half the population but is entirely peaceful, exerts just enough coercion to maintain monopolies where it does more or less what the market would provide and everybody's pretty happy? Or would you rather live under a tiny government that's only 1% of the population but murders a 1,000 random people every day? You know, give me the big peaceful one over the little violent one, right? So in, if, if you go back to when you say comparison to the 1800s, and, and I think, you know, this isn't just my, you know, being an ideologue talking here, but that if you go back and do the analysis from the perspective of how destructive was government, you know, you, know, you look at the Civil War, uh, you look at, at uh, the, the enforcement of slavery, and and everything that went along with it, you know, in some ways we're getting worse, in some ways we're getting better. What I'm not hearing from you is anarchy, right? I I don't, you don't subscribe to that platform, is that correct? Well, if you want to really take, if you want to give me, uh, you know, the next five minutes to get deep into the semantics here, I will say that I, I used to identify as an anarcho-capitalist, and it was Murray Rothbard's book, Ethics of Liberty, that really woke me up. And as much as I respect him as the modern godfather of libertarianism, I think he did us a huge disservice because what he was talking about was voluntarism, the ideal of a, a truly voluntary society. And he took the two worst possible words to describe it, anarchy and capitalism, and put them together into one term guaranteed to offend everybody. But they're also not intellectually accurate in that if you're describing voluntarism and you call it anarcho-capitalism, you're describing two possible outcomes of applying this philosophy of ethics. And there's no one who's an, who identifies as an anarchist who I know, and, and I have a lot of uh, friends who still identify as, as anarchists or ANCAPs, and, and you know, even ANSOX, ANCOMs, you know, anybody who's anti-authoritarian really can be a friend of mine. But uh, th this outcome, uh, if anarchy implies statelessness or no government 
or no social organization, then I'm, I'm definitely not for that. I think we can transition government to the local level where it's voluntary. And, you know, whether you want to call it government or not at that level, I, I don't really care as long as I can be left alone here on my 10 acres and not have to pay rental, I mean, property taxes to any you know governing authority that, that claims ownership over mine. So what would happen in a scenario like that? Let's say your vision pans out and now everything is done at the local level. What happens if, you know, the United States does get some sort of conflict, you know, internationally or something crazy happens to Americans in certain parts? I mean, like, how, how would the military work in, a, in your scenario? Well, and, and, and not to just be, a, you know, a stickler here, but in a, in a way, the premise of your question has some problems with it. You know, does the United States get into a conflict if there is no government? And this is a really important, or at least no federal government, no centralized government, no mm-hmm. uh, centralized. Let's say somebody military. attacked New York, like happened in nine eleven, or that whole scenario. Right. What would it, what would happen? Like, because I mean, before the the military industrial complex was created, and and I know and I know that many of our listeners have probably listened to Eisenhower's final speech where he yeah. warned yeah. about the military industrial complex. Right. And never before then had we had a standing army. If there was a problem, then they say, grab your guns. We're going to go and fight. Like we were kind of returned to that in your scenario. This is the wisdom of the founders who were explicitly against anything that they would call a standing army. And I'm so glad that you pointed out that way, because the founders knew that the most efficient, effective and really the only legitimate defense of a free people is a well-armed population that refuses to be governed by anyone. And this gets to the heart of how badly we've been lied to. The greatest perversion of freedom in America is the institution of militarism. And it, because it's socializing defense. I mean, you, you know, it's funny to hear conservatives rail against, we can't have socialized medicine, government in charge of, of, of health care, that's crazy. Oh, but government in charge of defense? Yeah, we can have socialized defense. Well, they don't call it that. It's their socialism. They want that socialized. You have all the same problems you do with any other kind of socialist system when you socialize defense, as opposed to decentralizing it, putting it in the hands of the market and free people. And the big lie, the big, big, big lie at the heart of this that goes unstated. It is actually implied in the language that the mainstream media, that your teachers use, that uh, the, the military uses to describe war. Wars are fought between countries. It was America versus China versus Japan versus Germany versus England. No, nonsense. Wars are not fought between countries. They are conducted by governments using violence to expand their protection rackets. Why is Afghanistan the graveyard of empires? Because it's ungovernable. And people don't, other other governments don't want to go in and try to control and exploit them because it's going to cost more than it's worth. And that's the ultimate defense. And this gets to the heart of, of so much else that is deliberately misrepresented in, in the very language of government. But the thing you know, and again, not to be, you know, I, I know that the greatest form of birth control is correcting other people's grammar. So I try to, I try to refrain as much as I practically can. But when people say we, 
We did this. We attacked Iraq. We bombed Syria. We killed children with drone strikes. We bombed Hiroshima. No, we didn't. The Dalai Lama. Well, I, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. I definitely didn't. The Dalai Lama was asked, what's the first thing you would do if you were president? And he said, I would start calling things by their true names. And there's so much power in that to just identify. Did we do that? Did America do that? No. Heck no. We are not the tumor on our ass. The federal government did that. Let's use accurate language. It's not a tumor <laughs> on my ass. It's not what it is. Okay, so let's uh, get macro here for a moment. Just talk about the the election in general. So in 2016, Gary Johnson got the Libertarian nomination. Got about 3%, I would say, of the vote. Yeah. Um, who, who besides the, the fake run of John McAfee, is running in two, 2020 for uh, the Libertarian nomination? And... It, you know, at what point, how, what percentage of support do you have to get before you're able to get on the platform and debate against the ruling classes? Well, that's a huge question, I'll, and, and I'll, uh, I have a great answer for that last part of how we're going to be in the debates. But going back, we have a host of great candidates this year, and I do want to give myself some credit for starting really early and motivating a bunch of other candidates to jump in the race. Uh, you know, we, we we are really running as a team, supporting each other. Because we want the party and the message and the movement to be as strong as possible. So uh, from the Arizona State Convention last weekend, going from left to right on stage, not counting myself, we had uh, Mark Whitney, Joe Jorgensen, Ken Armstrong, Dan Berman, uh, Vermin Supreme, Lincoln Chafee, and uh, Jacob Hornberger. And all of them uh, would be great representatives of the LP. They all bring incredible strengths. And I hope that whoever the nominee is, we can really keep working together as a team. And here's one thing that I have committed to do that I am really excited about. And I will do this if I'm the nominee or if someone else is the nominee. This is a combination of three ideas, three things that have already happened. One is we did a March of the Dead Veterans on the national convention in New Orleans with the Libertarians, where we we dressed up in, in suits and wore uh, headgear or like covers, hats from our military service or medals, insignia, stuff like that, and uh, skeleton masks to represent veterans who have committed suicide. But then we uh, we went and. We did this in, in 2012 with a much bigger group for Ron Paul. The Ron Paul is the choice of the troops march on the White House. And if you have not seen that video, please go check it out. Do a quick YouTube search for Ron Paul is the choice of the troops and uh, march on the White House. Adam Kokish, if you have to, you'll find it. We had a formation of about 500 all marching in time, chanting and the Fed, President Paul. And it was, it was really beautiful. So the third element here, if you recall, in 2008, when Ralph Nader was running as an independent, he was shut out of the debates and decided to go get arrested walking up to the security checkpoint at the debates. And we are going to do that, but with a formation of a thousand veterans demanding that the Commission on Presidential Debates allow the American people to hear from the Libertarian candidate as well. And 
I, for one, like Ralph Nader, would certainly be willing to get arrested and deal with a, you know, petty trespassing misdemeanor or whatever it is. You know, we'll set it up. And if, if we want uh, to, to negotiate a, a peaceful confrontation, then we will allow ourselves to be arrested uh, without violent conflict. We may end up blocking a lot of space. You know, we might end up blocking the entrance, blocking some roads. Uh, if they don't let us in, if they don't let the libertarian candidate in, if it's myself or someone else, uh, I'm still looking forward to doing this. And I guarantee that if we get a thousand veterans marching on the debates, willing to get arrested, willing to commit trespassing and, and, and face down the establishment here, that that's going to be the story more than the debate itself. So they can keep us out of the debates, but they can't keep us out of the debate of the real conversation with the American people. And if I'm the nominee, the Libertarian Party will be leading the way forward in American politics, and the American people will know that they have a real choice, that they could vote nobody for president in 2020. Mm, interesting. Now, I would say this. when it, For me personally, if I think of the term civil disobedience, like you're one of a handful of people whose name would pop up first, right? You've oh, done, thank you. I've seen a lot of things that, that you've done. Now, being arrested, this would not be the first time that you've been arrested for your cause. I think the very first time I, I saw your you uh, and your content was, was at the Jefferson Memorial, and apparently you were dancing at the Jefferson Memorial and got arrested? Well, some people would call what I was doing dancing. Some it didn't really. It was like figurative dancing. It was like you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know? Do you know what I was listening to? It was uh, "You Can Do It" by Ice Cube. Pretty, pretty good dance music. You know, I was really I, feeling it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that obviously wasn't the point. Uh, this was, uh, and it's it's a bit of a, a a backstory on this because it was 2011 and three years prior that a group of libertarian activists decided to go out and celebrate Thomas Jefferson's birthday with a flash mob at the Jefferson Monument at, at midnight. And I got to say, it's it's really, uh, by the way, it's another Dimitri Martin joke. Isn't it nice to notice that phenomena of the flash mob came and went so quickly? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... <laughs> Maybe that should be your campaign. Bring make flash mobs. Great yeah, again. right. So they no no. I, I there might be so uh, decentralized dance parties. I'm a big fan of those. And if anything, if there's going to be anything more like it, like flash that's mobs funny. that's sustainable, it's that. We might be doing a, a decentralized dance party tour uh, when we win the nomination. That'd be a lot of fun. But um, so they went and they were asked to leave. And as they were leaving, the last woman in the group was like dancing out, you know, like walking and dancing at the same time. And the park police cop grabbed her and said, you're under arrest for dancing in a restricted area. And what is this, Footloose? Later, you're like, yeah, what, yeah, where, yeah. Where's, where's John Lithgow? What is it? Yeah. Where's Kevin Bacon? Yeah, not being disruptive even, like not even close, just dancing silently with headphones leaving when asked to leave no less and uh she got arrested and three years later uh, the appeal decision came down from the judge and and he said that the arrest was the arrest was legitimate because dancing at the jefferson monument was quote not sufficiently reverent as in, you must bow down to the gods of government, even when it's a man who would never ask you to bow like Thomas Jefferson. 
it, it is truly absurd and, and, and just insane that of all places, they would make it illegal to dance the Jefferson Monument. And I found out afterwards that Thomas Jefferson was actually known for a time as the dancing president and was a big advocate of dancing. He has all these like great yeah. quotes like, dancing, it's good for the youth and vigor of the soul, and, and would bust out his fiddle and encourage people to dance at the White House. So, oh. yeah, great, a great synchronicity of irony here. I uh, I say a prayer every time I see a $2 bill. <laughs> I mean, you know. That's... <laughs> dear, dear Thomas Jefferson, we thank you for the freedom right. of speech that we enjoyed today. We ask for your blessings of our speech and please protect us from any ills and infringements of government. If only it worked that way. If only if only Thomas Jefferson could answer our prayers. Uh, Thank you so, for the freedom of speech we had up until 2015. <laughs> so we uh, a couple activists uh, put this together when they heard the announcement. Um, Jared, uh, Jared Denman and Eddie Free, great guys. This is when I had my TV show in, in, uh, in, on RT in DC, and I just jumped in to help promote. But then on the day of, we started dancing, and I ended up just, when they started arresting people, uh, most of the group scattered. And me, you know, I just kept dancing around in the middle until I got picked up from behind and choke slammed, like literally picked up from behind by the ribs, grabbed by the neck midair slammed down my sunglasses stayed on the cops fell off and he puts his knee into my ribs in such a way that makes you go holy crap i didn't know ribs were that flexible because like none of them broke um but you can see his knee go like six inches into my into my torso i thought i was watching and, the wwe right there yeah and, and and here's here's the scary part this is on a marble floor mm. If I didn't know how to fall, as in tuck the chin, slap the ground, like Marine Corps martial arts program, make map mm -hmm. training taught us to, and, and you know have the experience and wherewithal from rugby and getting thrown around like that, if I had just relaxed while he did that and my head whipped back onto that marble floor, I would at least be in a wheelchair, if not a vegetable or dead right now. And, you know, if you don't believe me, go watch the footage for yourself. It really is crazy. The video went super viral, of course, and, and, and I'm sure that's how you saw it. I whipped um, my hair back and forth. I whipped my hair yeah. back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was something else. Well, we're, we're glad you survived that and that you're here to, to do this interview today. Now, it's, you know, Vermin Supreme, um, interesting cat. He's also running. Now, his platform actually is broader than yours. Yours is, you know, you, you have a single issue. He want he's going to require people to brush their teeth. And right? free if ponies. He's, uh, now, hold on, hold on. I am, I am all for free ponies. But if we're going to get free ponies in a sustainable way, it's going to have to happen at the local level. <laughs> okay as long as i just wanted to get clarity on that are you also I on board? i am pro um, pony despite, a lot of damn ponies despite what some of my low integrity opponents in this race might otherwise infer no i am absolutely pro pony what about the pony well shit? i would so think that that would pony shit around <laughs> i would think that would cost more than a thousand dollars a person then i mean if yang's yang's giving out a thousand dollars you want to give out free ponies i mean what's the difference well, hey, when you, you know you bring it to that point there's something about my campaign that I, honestly in some ways i haven't figured out how to talk about 
uh, enough or or directly enough. But one of the greatest appeals here is addressing a problem that a lot of libertarian candidates ignore or sort of you know pushed out of of really giving a lot of attention to. And of course, we're against redistribution of wealth, but that doesn't mean we're against returning money that's been stolen or goods and services or, or property that's been stolen from us. And a lot has been stolen from the American people over the years. By dissolving the federal government in a bankruptcy process, we get to take it back. We are going to be issuing a thousand AmeriCoins, a digital security token, to every single American by social security number. And it'll be the only currency that we accept for the assets of the federal government that we are liquidating, including 50% of the land in the Western states that the federal government claims to own, which is obviously an illegitimate property claim. All the uh, resources, buildings, um, equipment that doesn't get apportioned to the states or to the, the now sovereign tribal units, uh, all that goes into the auction pile and we return it to the American people directly. So in a sense, uh, it's it's better than Andrew Yang's plan. I'd rather have a thousand AmeriCoin, my claim to my birthright back, than uh, you know a thousand dollars a month and, and be dependent on a government program. Hmm. That is interesting. Tell us more about this AmeriCoin. Now, can somebody go and uh, go to a website and read about it? What is the AmeriCoin? And and maybe you know I, we we just had G. Edward Griffin on the show, so I think our audience now is aware of how the Federal Reserve was created and, right. and the central banking and all of that, and why that's not necessarily an optimal solution. Maybe talk about the Fed and and maybe explain in depth what the Americoin is and does it already exist? Yeah, no, G. Ed is is uh, a great old friend of mine. I met him back at the uh, at Jekyll Island, actually. You know, the author is that his rap name, G. Ed. It should be. Uh, no, but he, he wrote the, the Creature from Jekyll Island explaining the history and, and, and the real corruption behind the Federal Reserve System. And, you know, the, when you ask a libertarian, should we end the Fed? Yeah, absolutely. How soon should Americans get off the dollar? Well, the answer is let the market decide. So we immediately removed the, the violent federal backing from the Federal Reserve System and that the federal federal government is no longer going to be dealing in U.S. dollars or giving it value by requiring it for payment of taxation. And it, it may be continued to be used at the state level. Um, you know, I, I hear the arguments that it's a private institution. I think public-private partnership is, is a better description for it. But yes, it is worth pointing out that in many ways, the Federal Reserve is a privately owned bank. And it exists with special privileges given to it by government, without which it really wouldn't exist because it wouldn't be competing in a free market for money. So AmeriCoin uh, is something that we are going to create when we win the election in November before January so that we have the time to do it right. And there's no uh, there's no early mining. There's no free mining. This is a, a, a probably not even a crypto by some people's definitions in terms of being decentralized and mined. It will be blockchain-based. It will be transparent. It will have a lot of those features of a blockchain cryptocurrency, but it will be a digital security token that is airdropped to every single American by social security number. And this provides us with a bridge currency, and it will have value as long as we are selling off the goods of the federal government. There will be 
What what about Adam? What about undocumented uh, residents? If they don't have a social security number, they don't get any Americoid. No, and and it, it's obviously when we're saying, look, we're going to stop the crime, we're going to stop the corruption, we're going to give you all your stuff back, everything that's been stolen from you, your dignity, your pride, your potential, your birthright. You know what? If it doesn't add up to every single person on earth who's been negatively affected by the federal government or a perfectly fair system. I'm okay with that. If we're all a lot less materialistic and we stop fighting over stuff, there's going to be a lot more stuff to go around. But in this case, this is a reflection of my fiduciary responsibility as the bankruptcy agent of the federal government, which is to pay back the true creditors. That's the American people. And the the easiest, most fair way to just get this out to Americans who have paid taxes, who have been ripped off, who have had our birthright stolen from us is to do it by social security number. So it would be American citizens directly in that sense. You know, it's such an interesting, you know, proposition, you know, cause we've, we've had many conversations on bad crypto. I mean, you know, the whole thing in 2007, 2008, 2009, when the housing bubble, you know, sort of hit. And then, yep. you know, there was the, there was the stock market bubble that popped a big tech bubble in the, in the late nineties, you know, 99, 2000, and there's a there's a great book out there called The Everything Bubble that we've referenced several times on the show talking about how and it's I read that book in one sitting from London back to Kansas City. It was so amazing. It's The Everything Bubble. I don't actually have I I loaned it out. I don't remember the author's name, but uh it's a great book. What is your thoughts about, you know, where we are and 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 the fact that, you know, we've seen historically, you know, Argentina, they've crashed, Venezuela's crashed, the Soviet Union crashed. The, you know, London and in, in England, they crashed in the 40s. And now the dollar has been the re, the world reserve currency now for eight going on 80 years. And, you know, eventually all these fiat currencies, they tend, they crash. They, they're set up in a way to eventually crash. What happens when that happens? Well, I don't think that has to happen. Uh, I think that we can apply a solution as big as the problem. And in a lot of ways, the message of this campaign is, look, guys, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is to apply a solution as big as the problem, what I'm talking about. Let's face up to this. And I'm glad you mentioned the Everything Bubble because it's a very powerful book, a very powerful idea about everything that's centered around these fiat currency systems or dependent on them. I would say the biggest bubble that we're facing is the government bubble. Can do we, do we have to wait for it to pop or can we diffuse it because waiting for it to pop that's the hard way. That's hope that government spares us in its violent death throes as it desperately clings to power and hope that there's some uh leveling of of the debt record and of the monetary system and that everything that's been stolen from us somehow doesn't get concentrated more into the hand excuse me into the hands of the few with the people who control the the crisis i think we can avoid that i think we have to avoid that uh you know mark twain history doesn't repeat but it rhymes you can look at the rise and fall of the roman empire and and parallel it to the rise and fall of the american federal government of course i think the history doesn't repeat but it rhymes means that that while history is cyclical it's also a spiral of progress. And with every rotation, we get better. We learn from our mistakes. I'm, I'm very confident that 
whatever the end of the federal government is, and it's not going to last forever one way or another. The question is not does it end, but how and when. So if we, if we face up to that, again, we apply a solution as big as the problem. We can make sure that we have the best collapse of the biggest empire in the world in human history. We can have a peaceful one and one where the American people get to lead the way forward in freedom again, as we did. And I'll say we here in my collectivist patriotism, that we in the, the first American Revolution, we, you know, we, we led the world forward in freedom by overthrowing the biggest empire the world had ever known. We get to do that again and show the world the way forward with localization. I really am, when it comes down to it, in this sense, an American imperialist. I want the ideal of America, which belongs to the heritage of humanity, to take over the world, of defiance of authority and respect for freedom. America's got to mean something like that, and that's something bigger than our borders, bigger than this government. So when you look at the country and you look at the various states of the union and the inner cities and the problems we have, they already have some serious problems. I mean, let's just pick on San Francisco, right? Because it's, you know, it's a literal poop hole. <laughs> Is that really necessary? The they get enough shit. Well, you know, how how do, if the local governments already aren't fixing the problems, is it because they're represented by people that go off to Washington and are more concerned about their careers, you know, in D.C. than they are about their districts? How do we fix local? It's because they're subsidiaries of the corrupt central government. If they didn't have the taxation and monetary and financial and corporatist system that the federal government imposes on states and local governments, you wouldn't have the kind of corruption that we have today. And governments would be much more customized in line with the will of the people in those communities. You know, that that's interesting. I want to ask this. As, and I think we're, we're, we're kind of winding down on time here. But I want to know about, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, that a lot of the politicians, it seems, they, they crave control, they crave power. They're not necessarily altruistic. At least now, as you as you call this the the corrupt centralized government, what is it going to take to get good politicians in there? People who are compassionate, people who actually care about the people, people who aren't out there trying to line their pockets with dollars from lobbyists and going to Congress as a senator and being there forty years and and coming out being worth five hundred million dollars and it's just unbelievable how how you know politics enriches people. How do we convince good people to be politicians when we see how badly they're treated? If you have a good politician, you know, they're just lambasted on MSN. But if they're, you know, one of the puppets, you know, ones that have puppet strings above them, then, you know, they don't seem to be so they, they don't seem to be treated as badly. And the cycle continues. So how do we get good politicians in? Wait, good. Po you want good politicians. I think I have a box of those here in storage next to my bag of unicorn farts. OK, um, nice. OK, no, so I, when it's the, the you, you ask the question, I think I, obviously I'm being a little facetious here, but mm -hmm. in this idea of, of good politicians, I, I'd like to think the only good politician is one that would give up political power. When, when government is localized to the community level and the only services that government provides are the ones that people, you know, really have to band together geographically for uh, or choose to, and, and really th there aren't any have-tos here, then they're not really going to be politicians anymore. They're just kind of 
service providers who are embraced by the community and supported financially with people's business. Um, even a government in that sense is becomes a business when it can't hold you hostage or captive. Like right now, you know, can you leave the United States? Yeah, but not with money, not without getting government's permission. And you can't really go anywhere on earth. And there are a few exceptions, I, I understand. And I think where I live is pretty close to one uh, where, where you can really live free and be left alone and, and not harassed by any government. But when government is down at the community level and you have the right to secede on your own land at any time or to join another government or be a part of some decentralized system at any time, then you don't have politicians in the sense that we have them today. I mean, what is a politician aside from a liar and a criminal? Fundamentally, yeah, no, and I'm, I'm being only slightly exaggerating there because you, the role of a politician today is trust me with authority that I will exercise representing you in your absence. And I promise I won't do anything to violate your rights or I promise that I'll do everything in your best interest. But you don't have the right to just at any time fire me or disengage. You have to wait two years. You have to fight City Hall. You have to fight the system. You have to fight the incumbent's advantage. That nature of politics and what it means to be a politician really just goes away when government is voluntary and localized. Let me follow that up real quick with something, because I this is something that I, I would love to hear your response on. So for one, part one of the question is, has any place on earth done anything similar to what you're trying to do? And then part two is, What's to say that, like, you know, what it, now we, we're all 50 states and we're all doing our own little thing and we're all able to be left alone. Who's to say that, like, barbarians and the Vikings don't, sw you know, come up onto the shore and just kick everyone's ass and then take everything, right? It's like, I know people are thinking this, and this is not necessarily the way I'm thinking, but I know people are going to ask and say, well, if we don't have this and we don't have that, then maybe we're going to be left vulnerable. What would you say to them? The government and the military is what makes us vulnerable. And this is, again, like the heart of the issue about war. The heart of the issue about the military is that having a military makes us less safe. To say that again, for anybody who's listening who might be coming from that perspective, although I would hope that no one in your audience is so naive as to think otherwise, having a military makes us less safe. And there are a number of ways that it does this, but the two primary dynamics are one, what I experienced overseas of making enemies faster than we could kill them. The global war of terror was designed that way, not to be won, but to be sustained so that it could continue to be used as an excuse to rip off the American people on behalf of the political class and the military industrial complex. The second one really gets to the heart of what that represents, which is that if you understand wars are conducted by governments to expand their protection rackets, not fought between countries, then if you say we refuse to be governed by anyone, we refuse to be taxed, we refuse to be ruled. Now, I don't endorse the Afghan tribal warlord system but as a decentralized system that has worked well for defense, it's pretty well proven since the United States military has spent how many, oh, something like $14 trillion 
and, and how many thousands of lives in Afghanistan and lost to this ragtag bunch of terrorists and warlords and freedom fighters and Mujahideen. And no, think about it for a second. A tiny country with a population, a fraction, a tiny fraction, the size of the United States with no military, uh, with, with, with a militia-based decentralized defense, as the American founders advocated, defeated the U.S. military over a 10-plus year war. The great they do have some pretty tough terrain over there. Lots of caves and just it's a very challenging yeah, terrain. You know? Yeah, but that's an excuse. Why did Admiral Yamamoto not invade the mainland during World War II? A rifle behind every blade of mm-hmm. If you have a military, but here's what it really comes down to. If you have a military, and as in the United States, the average working American is working for government half the year. When you add up all the fees, fines, and, and, and hidden costs of government, half the year, what you're saying to the world is, I don't care about freedom. I don't care about my rights. I don't care about my income. Whatever government is in charge in whatever area I'm in, I will submit. I will pay my taxes without resistance. I will send my children to fight and die and kill for politicians. I will submit to militarism. And guess what? That is exactly what makes you a juicy target for another government to come in and govern you like you're being governed now. Except you think about, like, say, the greatest threat from China. I mean, we heard this recently from the Trump administration, Trump himself. Well, the people in Iran will greet us as liberators when we take their government out for them. Hmm. You want to put that shoe on the other foot? Oh, maybe your bone spurs would prevent you from that, Mr. Cheeto Jesus. But no, you really think you want to get that idea out there? Should the American people be asking for the Iranian government to take out the American federal government? Eh, well, there's there's certainly a lot of merit to asking that question. But to the Chinese, the the, the big realistic threat, and of course, it's not really a threat, but if the Chinese came over and they took out the American government and said, we're in charge now, they would have to start from scratch on establishing a tax system. And it would take them years, if not decades, to get to the point that we're at today, working for government half the year. So having a military in every way makes us less safe. I wonder... If you could tell us how you really feel, though. Yeah. That's, that's that's what I'm going uh, for here. I, I got a deeper layer here, brother. All right, I got you because militarism is a cancer on the warrior class. There is something noble, if naive, in joining the U.S. military if you are doing it for the right reasons. But this gets to the heart of what's the difference between a warrior and a soldier? Because a soldier is someone who puts on a uniform and follows orders and takes a paycheck to do awful, unethical, immoral things without question and kill for politicians if asked to do so. A warrior is someone who's willing to put their life on the line for justice, to protect the innocent, to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. That's what it means to be a warrior and to join the military as our founders opposed any kind of standing army. 
as they advocated for a decentralized militia-based defense. To join the military in America today is to make yourself an enemy of freedom, an enemy of the people, an enemy of Americanism, a servant of politicians, bankers, and war profiteers. That's what it means to join the military today. The sooner we wake up and realize that, the sooner we'll be able to move beyond this cancer of militarism. Wow. Okay, now I know how you really feel. That's... (laughs) You got to put it out there, man. And I just want to know, last question, if uh, you did make the debates and were on stage with uh, with the president, would you call him Cheeto Jesus to his face? I don't know. I might be more inclined to call him an asshole because he just shits on everything. Everything around him gets shitty. Attitudes get shitty. The economy gets shitty. The size of government gets shitty. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to decide whether uh, Cheeto Jesus or just straight up asshole would be would be more appropriate based on the venue. I don't like to curse. I don't need to go to ad hominems. It's funny. I like to make jokes and, and, and be able to make light of serious topics. But Cadet Bone Spurs enjoys a little back and forth. He enjoys the uh, you know Julius Caesar comments, I'm sure, as much as he enjoys getting other under people's skin. There might be some fun with that. But I'll tell you more importantly, I am 100% committed to this line in the sand. I am 100% committed to this platform and this message of ethics and justice. I am not at all committed to the verbiage, my messaging. If we win the nomination and and we can afford focus groups at that point and someone says, Adam, you got to use this word, not that word, that's going to resonate more, meeting the American people where they're at. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll do that then. Well, just to be clear, that question was a joke, but I appreciate the the lengthy answer just the same. Adam Kokesh, libertarian candidate for president running in the primaries. And Adam, uh, we wish you the best. Continue to to do what you do. Uh, Everybody can go to the show notes and find links to the campaign site at kokeshforpresident.com and many of the things that we referenced on this episode. Thanks, Adam. If I may just say one more thing, actually two more things. First of all, thank you guys for the opportunity and for what you do and for supporting independent media by being independent media for people who are listening to this i know from my time with adam versus the man the internet is amazing and makes things possible that we couldn't have dreamed of beforehand but it still requires deliberate usage it still requires an active and engaged audience to make independent media possible so put your money where your mouth is or at least your eyes and your ears or give them a few clicks share the show Help support the Bad Crypto Podcast. Anything you can do to support independent media, whatever you're listening to, please do it. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing, if you want to support this campaign, yeah, we need money to get around the country. If you want to donate, kokeshforpresident.com. Super appreciated. My main website where you can find my YouTube channel, my book for free, everything else. I know these guys will get it in the notes. Thefreedomline.com. All three words, thefreedomline.com. But the most important thing you can do to support the campaign is to be a delegate, to get one of those 1,000 slots at the National Convention in Austin, Texas in May of this year. It's embarrassingly easy. If you don't know how to get plugged in with your state Libertarian Party to be a delegate representing your state at National, please, please send me an email, adam, A-D-A-M, at the freedomline.com we will get you plugged in thanks everybody peace and love y'all that that was three things adam but okay we'll let it go (laughs) who's counting you know travis if only joe exotic could run for president again (laughs) 
Wow. You know, I had no, I you know, you you had told me about that the Tiger King thing and I watched a little bit of that. That was that was some that was some I can't crazy. believe you stopped it. Through, well, I know you've been busy working on our project, but yeah. hopefully you'll get back to it. I've watched three of the watched three of them and I'm like, okay, that was interesting. It, no, I, it gets it gets crazier. It, it gets and, crazier. All right, I guess I'll finish it up. It's the number one show on Netflix right now. It's called Tiger King. And you and I, we actually talked about Joe Exotic when he was running for president during that whole campaign season. Do you remember that? Was it 2016 he was running? Yeah, it was the 2016 one. So before uh, well, it was pretty bad crypto then that we were having. Before we were talking crypto, you and I, one of us found a story about this guy running for president and you know we linked it to the other so when tiger saying, i thought it was the guy who was like the rent's too damn high that guy remember that guy <laughs> that's a different guy a different guy there's all kinds of interesting people so you know adam is is out there doing his thing and you guys can learn more about him of course uh links to adam his uh co-cash for president.com is wikipedia and articles mentioned in this uh, particular interview or on the show notes at the Bad Crypto Podcast site. If you'll just go to the short link, it'll take you right there, badco.in forward slash 388. We'll get you right there. Yep, yep. Great stuff. Mr. Travis Wright, I got my second um, airport plot in Upland. You did. Did, did you get one? No, yep. I only have one. Okay. You beat me the you first day, remember? You missed it the first time, but you got one the second time. I got one too, and now their third set of airport parcels are out. And I've been playing the treasure hunts. Have you caught a pinata yet? Nope. So it's pretty cool. Of course, we're talking about our sponsor, Upland. Upland.me is their official site. But I'm going to give you a URL in a moment that you're going to want to get to to get bonus free tokens when you sign up. So now there's this treasure hunt. Every hour, a pinata, two pinatas will spawn somewhere on the map. Every and hour, up, like on the top of the hour? Uh, I don't think, I don't know the exact timing, and it might even be even more frequent, but when they start, you get like a four-minute countdown, and then you go to a property that's been claimed, and you click the treasure thing, and it gives you a little arrow, shows you the basic direction of where the pinata's at. And so then you hand to it, send your, you know, your block explorer to another property, and then from there, you click treasure, and then it'll kind of, it's like you're triangulating ah, the location. And when you're within range, it goes, you found the pinata, get ready. And then the pinata comes up and you tap, 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 tap. And as you're tapping, Upex comes flying out. So I got like 2,500 Upex from a pinata. Um, wow. It's a great way. It's a, I, a if I haven't way. found one yet. I, I guess I've never been on there whenever they've had one of those things. And I've like, and I've seen the treasure button and I've tried to click on it and stuff. I think I maybe need to see a video or something. That might be good. Has Upland, Upland created one of those? Uh, I don't know, but you guys go check them out. Badco.in forward slash Upland. Cool. Go to that link via your browser on mobile. Okay. You can have the app, but go to the link. And instead of getting 3,000 Upix to sign up, you'll get 6,000 because you heard of them uh, right here. Badco.in forward slash Upland. Upland. Uh. So, Travis, this announcement that we're going to make in the next episode, honestly, you guys are not going to want to miss this. I just want to say that. It has been the result uh, very similar to the creation of this show, right? We, uh, on July 16th, 2017, we said, let's do this. And two days later, we had the podcast up and running. First episode out, website up and running, you know, and, and there it was. It was done. Well, this idea we came up with, within 48 hours, the core of the project 
the foundation was there and now you know we're just we're just prepping it i would almost say it's even more this one is even more impressive than the launch of bad crypto it would seem to me just the scale of what we're doing on this thing i think you're impressive thanks bros yeah thanks everybody for listening i called you bros i don't know what that word is that's like bro and boss yeah it's like both together bros (laughs) (laughs) or if my name was ross Mm -hmm. hey what's up bros bro ross bros What's happening, bros? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it's all downhill from here, so probably a good time to end the show. Thanks for listening. Make sure to uh, share, subscribe, review all those things that you said you were going to do that you might not have yet. To those of you who have, thank you. To the rest of you, <laughs> why? Well, they're trying to stay bad. Oh. But you actually oh. stay bad by actually giving us reviews and being nice, yeah. not being doing bad things. Do good things by staying bad. Yeah, because if you don't do it, then you're staying good, and that's not bad. That's Mm -hmm. good. So stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.